You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Thursday, June the 30th. It's a mottled skyline here in TW11. Sunshine and a few showers as we build towards the coral eclipse at Sandown Park at the weekend. But first of all, news broke last night that Ammo Racing, the owners of the second and third placed horses in Royal Ascot's Norfolk Stakes, Wallbank and Crispy Cat, trained by Dave Lochnan and Michael O'Callaghan respectively, would appeal the results. The first pass of the post was the Riddler, ridden by Paul Hannigan for trainer Richard Fahey. You'll remember that Hannigan, under a right-hand drive, allowed his horse to drift across, causing the third and fourth placed horses to snatch up quite dramatically. He received a 10-day suspension after the race, but the result stood. With so much chat about this in recent weeks, could this be a sea change in the way these rules are administered? I'll be asking Daily Mirror's David Yates in a few moments' time. But first of all, the trainer of Wallbank is David Lochnan, and he's with me now. Uh, David, what are you trying to achieve with this objection, and do you think you could actually get the result changed? Um, I'd love to say we're going to get the race, but look, I'm, I'm long enough for the two to know it's not that simple. Um Look, if at nothing else, it makes the BHA stand up and be accounted for and maybe have a look at the rules. If, if, if there's something that comes out of it, you know, something needs to be done and something needs to come out of this. So, um, in my personal opinion, it can only be for the greater good of our sport. Because as things stand, you can get a race if, in the opinion of the stewards on the balance of probability, horses that were interfered with might have finished in front of the interferer. But... Otherwise, you can't get the race, irrespective of the riding offence, unless the riding offence is classified as dangerous riding. And those are so few and far between. And we saw the incident yesterday, the written reasons for the case at York. Um, the BHA did not upgrade that to dangerous riding. So is, do you think we've just got to change the threshold for what is considered to be dangerous? Yeah, definitely. Look, if you clip heels with another horse, it's 50-50 with the the horse is one of those horses is going to come down or not um how, how do you how do you define dangerous and careless well from what i can see on on the replays of that race crispy cat was sylvester souza was severely checked and james doyle probably even more so if one of those riders ended up on the ground i think we'd be having a very different conversation right now um, and it's just about time our rider's safety and our horse's safety was put first um Paul Hannigan is a brilliant jockey and I've absolutely nothing against him. He's, he's a world-class rider. He's too good of a rider, in my opinion, to have thought he did nothing wrong on that day, but he knew he could do what he did and still hold the race. I think that's what the problem is. Um, as, as Ruby Walsh said on the day and Kevin Blake said on the day, it was a professional foul. I mean, Royal Ascot's clearly fantastic and a showcase for any owner. How, how much do you worry the owners who come into the game and put big investment in will be deterred from having more horses in training in, in the UK? Well, it's obviously making our job as trainers even more difficult. Like, we, we're all well aware of the massive issue there is with prize money in this country. And, you know, owners like Amo Racing are putting an awful lot into this sport. And 
you know they've got horses in training in other jurisdictions in Ireland and America if if they're losing races because of riding offences like that I mean it's it's it, it, it can't do the sport any good for us you know there, there, there is going to be a knock on effect of it eventually and um, you know we, we need to be doing everything we can do to make our sport as fair as possible and, and to give everyone you know the right opportunity if the best horse is the best horse then keep it straight it'll still be the best horse if it's good enough David Lockdown there. David Yates is newsboy from the Daily Mirror and was listening to that. Dave, to what extent do you think Lockdown has got a realistic chance of having his admittedly fairly limited ambitions realised? I think he's got a chance. I think that those of us in attendance for the Norfolk Stakes thought that the, the stewards at the time had... I thought my personal view was that they'd filed it in the too difficult category. Um, they gave Paul Hannigan a 10-day ban for careless riding. Of course, the, uh, the, the, the rules with regard to the interference change if you uh, find the jockey guilty of dangerous riding. Um, there, was, there was plenty of opinion on the track at the time that thought that Hannigan was guilty of dangerous riding, just for the, um, the as you mentioned, Wallbank was second, Crispy Cat was third. Crispy Cat of the two uh, ammo racing horses was was the one who was um, who, who suffered most, uh, suffered more in the interference. And so, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think that um, his ambitions are pie in the sky at all. As I say, I think that um, at the time the race was on. Uh, ITV. It was at Royal Ascot, and it would have caused huge upheaval if the stewards had taken the bold step uh, to disqualify the Riddler and and to translate, if they needed to translate, uh, Paul Hannigan's offence into dangerous riding. Um, but certainly, where I was on the day and talking to various people during the afternoon. Um, that they they felt that that was by no means an unreasonable point of view uh, had the stewards decided to adopt it and therefore i think that the trainer's ambitions in that sense are perfectly reasonable the weird thing is for me that the, the stewards for a decade and a half have been frozen in fear of issuing a dangerous riding charge there's careless improper dangerous you often get careless you rarely get improper you hardly ever get dangerous last time a horse was disqualified because a jockey had committed a dangerous riding offence, which is the only riding offence that can trigger an automatic disqualification, was in 2009. But the BHA's dangerous riding uh, clause reads as follows, riding in a way far below that of a competent and careful rider, where it would be obvious to such a careful and competent rider that riding in that way was likely to endanger the safety of a horse or rider. I mean, I don't think it's too much of a stretch, Dave, to think that kind of that's exactly what, a senior rider like Paul Hannigan was doing on the Riddler. It was, I'm just going to keep going and to hell with the consequences. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that's fair. And I think that whilst you say that the, the, the stewards, uh, the race course stewards procedures and, and outlook, they were frozen in time for a, a long a good many years and then I think over the last couple of years that situation has changed hasn't it that we're seeing uh, you know there always used to be that cliche that people say oh you've got to commit murder to get thrown out these days and and that that stood for 
for a very long time. In the last couple of years, there have been uh, instances, and many of them, where the stewards have turned round mm. uh, close finishes for interference. Now, that position has changed. It's clearly that policy of... of um, favouring the first past the post to the extent that they did. Clearly that has changed over the last couple of years. They, they, they would argue there's been no policy shift, but clearly there's right. been a shift. Clearly well, there's been a shift in mood, hasn't there? There's, they, been a they shift argue, in a, there's been a shift in application. They can argue what they like, but those of us who watch racing day in and day out know that something has changed, whether it's a policy, whether it's a mood, whatever it might be, something has changed. And frankly, if anyone were to argue to the contrary, that would be laughable. But what hasn't happened is that, um, as you say, that they still won't go near the dangerous riding, uh, which, as you say, is, is the one whereby you don't have to worry about uh, whether the winner has improved his or her placing. You can just merely turn it round because it's in the category of dangerous riding. So whilst the mood, the policy, whatever we might, might uh, wish to call it, whilst there's clearly been a change uh, in, in, in turning round close finishes in, in instances uh, that, that we've seen over the last couple of years, then it, it's, there is still that, that, uh, that boundary, isn't there, crossing into dangerous riding, which, as you say, given that we, it's, it's over a decade uh, since we had a case like that, that that threshold is still sufficiently high that they won't go near it. And I completely agree with you. You've just read the statute. Um, does, does that give a, in, in law, does that give a reasonable or an unreasonable description of what Paul Hannigan did aboard the Riddler? Well, it's a question of interpretation, but my, my take on it is that it's certainly, you wouldn't say that it's unreasonable. I think the issue for Lochnan and, and O'Callaghan and Jarobchin and all the others at the moment is that if you read the, the reasons given for not upgrading Ray Dawson's riding offence at York on Believe in Love to Dangerous um, at the request of the runner-ups trainer Huey Morrison on that occasion, um, the fact is you're not going to get this one upgraded to Dangerous either. But I just wonder whether the, 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 the mood music, if I go back to that, is loud enough now that the BHA will actually start looking at a policy change, will start redefining this in order to prevent a serious injury in due course. Yeah, I, I think that's a, I, I think it's very likely that they will uh, start looking at a, a, an, an openness and a willingness to consider uh, dangerous riding, which previously they haven't done for the, for the last decade and a bit. Whether that's going to take us quite to, um, not a rash of cases, but, but some new cases whereby they're, they're content to sort of cross the border that, that I, I talked about um, a minute or so ago. I think that's another thing. But I, the, the, the way that uh, interference cases have been dealt with in British racing has changed over the last five years. And it's by no means illogical uh, that, that a policy towards dangerous riding, which is on the statute books, but never gets invoked even though we do see instances that border on it uh, from week to week then i think that's highly likely okay let's push on to other news today uh, david there was a pretty alarming story in the sun yesterday the details are necessarily vague um, but it's one that 
obviously everybody in in racing is going to keep an eye on yes indeed um this is that uh, a trainer has been uh, arrested amid allegations of sexual assault uh, the sun article says that um the license has been suspended by the bha whilst uh, investigations continue uh, obviously the trainer is not named uh, he's described in the article as a 61 year old man and the piece says that um employees came forward uh, with allegations after uh, one of their colleagues committed uh, suicide last month and, and left a note. And so um, that's about as, as far as I can go with it, really. Um, the um, that I've just really stated the, the facts from the Sun piece and, and no doubt uh, there will be more to come on this in the, in the days that follow. Well, you'll remember before the uh, Tattersalls Gold Cup, uh, the Curra, I spoke with the man who'd sourced and bought and now looks after the management of Alon Care for MM Stables, Armando Duarte. Well, I, I guess I brought you luck, Armando, so I thought we'd go round for a second bite of the cherry as you warm towards the, the Coral Eclipse on Saturday. Um, that, first of all, to reflect on, on the Curra, race looks a bit better than it, than it did at the time. Um, how's the horse doing? Uh, the horse is doing fantastically. Um, I think uh, Jason, he rides him every day. He did a fantastic job. He's, um, he think he improved and uh, he feels better than before. And um, William is very happy with him. Uh, I saw him on Saturday. He looks fantastic, looks stronger. So he go there with a, with a good chance. His time at Lingfield earlier in the season was very good as well. And this is a conversation that you and I and William Haggis have been having most of the year. Is he really the, the mile and a half horse that we thought he was last year? Or is actually evidence now showing that he's going to be more effective at 10 furlongs? And that's a, gr- a great question. Um, I think you, he's a mile and a half, but he got stronger and he got faster with age. So I think a mile and a quarter, Steve mile and a quarter, it won't be a problem for him at all. I think he's get better as well. With um, with age, and one thing we've seen this season is how his riders, well, first of all, Kieran Fallon at Lingfield, and then Tom Marquand, have been content just to sit in that that little bit closer to the pace. Do you think that's made a big difference as well? It's very un- uncomplicated, right? You can ride from the back or ride from the front, uh, but if it, it seems like he likes to be, he jumps very well off the stalls, and when he's getting a rhythm, he likes to be in front, enjoy himself. Uh, but like I said, if he's no pace, we can go from the back. And if he's a uh, strong pace, we can set off the pace. He's a very complicated horse now. And he's a horse, a buyer, a stallion who's no longer with us, Adler Fluke, who's made quite an impact with a, a tiny group of horses. He's had Inswoop, the arc runner-up. He's had Torquato Tasso, the arc winner. He's got this horse who's now a group one winner at, at, at 10 furlongs. Have you got enough in your armoury as things stand now to, to make this horse a, a half-decent stallion? I hope so. I, I, we try to make him a stallion. He can stand somewhere uh, in the UK or France or even Ireland. Uh, I know people say uh, the, the, the pedigree is not strong and they don't know much about the flag. Um, but I think by the end of the year, uh, if you win another couple group one winners, um, he can stand somewhere, hopefully. 
I'm sure there will be there will be a market for him. Um, uh, but beyond beyond Saturday, what are you looking at for the rest of the season? Do you think? He's entering King George, uh, Judmont, Irish Champion Stakes, the Ark uh, Champion Stakes. Uh, also, we're thinking about maybe Australia by the end of the year or next spring. Um, so it's quite versatile horse and hopefully uh, we don't want to race him too much uh, but uh, we save him for next year uh, because I think he's still improving and I think he'll be better than a five-year-old so um, it'll be interesting to see what happens by the end of the year I mean that would be quite exciting if he came on again Australia that's interesting what sort of races are you looking at for him there? Well he's is he's we're thinking about probably Cox Plate or maybe uh, the KU2 uh, in Sydney next year, next spring. Armando Duarte there talking about Alon Kerr in Saturday's Coral Eclipse. David Yates is still with me. It's a shame we've lost real world, Dave, for sure. And we won't have any O'Briens in the race either. High definition, nor ACAL, nor Stone Age. Stone Age goes to the Belmont Derby. ACAL and high definition apparently have targets in France. So we're going to have a smaller eclipse than perhaps we thought. The pace scenario might have changed. Uh, Ryan Moore will now ride Bay Bridge for Michael Stat, as we've been anticipating on this podcast all week. And the speculation as to whether Frankie Dottori will ride real world is, is out the window. So that's the, that's the sort of in a nutshell. Yes, indeed. Um, the the Dottori uh, aspect of that would have been interesting had he ridden uh, real world. And as you reported... Danny Tudhope was not only in the frame for that ride, but a, 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 a likely jockey uh, for Real World. That would have been fascinating, wouldn't it, if Dottori had ridden Real World and was up against Mishriff uh, eight days after the sabbatical was announced between the Italian and John Gosden. There have been plenty of high-profile trainers who win Group 1 races who have been happy to voice their support for Dottori. But to return to the Coral Eclipse, Real World doesn't go... And as you say, neither do any of the three Ballydor runners. Uh, as you point out, it, it's likely that one of the two outsiders would have been there to make the pace in any any case. I suspect ACAL uh, would have made the running high definition, uh, possibly. Um, but we don't see a Stone Age who disappointed in the derby in, in, in view of uh, his really impressive win in the, the Derby trial at Leopardstown and he goes for the Belmont Derby. So it's a shame, but we've still got plenty of the other main players, haven't we? Uh, Vidani, Native Trail, Baybridge and Mishriff. Other bits and pieces of news, retirement of the dual champion hurdler, Bouver Dare. He's been sort of slightly forgotten horse the last couple of years because he's been plagued with injury after that very nasty incident at Newcastle, but he was a, he was a fine animal in his heyday, Dave. Yes, he was indeed uh, a dual champion hurdler in 2017 and 2018. Remember, of course, that dramatic uh, attempt at the, or failure when he was attempting the hat trick when he came down. Was it at the third flight? Nicky Henderson used to say that Bouverdere was so good because he, he left himself so little margin for error at his hurdles and you didn't see him leave the ground. Well, unfortunately, he sailed, uh, he flew too close to the sun um, when he was attempting a third victory at Cheltenham. But he was a very good horse 
And uh, as you point out, he's been plagued by injury problems over the last couple of seasons. I don't think we re- we were expecting to see uh, Bouverdeir starring back at the top level. And so he's been retired, but he uh, goes into retirement with the CV of one of the, the best champion hurdlers of recent times. Uh, no issues with getting crowds in at the Cheltenham Festival. There are, however, issues about getting people to go racing for most of the rest of the year. If you exclude Ascot, Cheltenham, Aintree, Epsom, the big four so far this year, attendances have been thin. Uh, there are a number of factors being put forward for this day, but there's some, there's some data now to back up anecdotal evidence too. Yes, indeed. Um, just uh, the, the average gate for um, race courses, race meetings over the last month was uh, 2,951 and that was a good bit lower than the figure of uh, 4,179 for the same period in 2019. So they're down by about a third. I I think one of the things that slightly worries me about this, Nick, is that you know, David Armstrong is is um, a a regular on your programs, and he's a a, a great help uh, to those of us in the media. He being the the chief executive of the Racecourse Association, but I'm not quite sure that I fully agree with what um, he's told David Carr in the in the trade paper today that. Uh, he says, I'm certain it's due to the cost of living crisis. We're all feeling the same thing. Um, it will come down. And when it does, I think things will return to normal quite quickly. He refers to a unique set of circumstances, um, a, a spike in inflation, but spikes in inflation are just that. They are spikes. Now, there are other potential reasons as to why those attendances are dropping. And I think they're worrying, and some of them, I think that race courses, it's in their gift uh, to do something about them. The other thing that's not within the race courses' gift, well, not directly, but it is indirectly, uh, is the field sizes. Is it down to the cost of living crisis? Is it down to uh, people's leisure habits having changed over the last couple of years? I'm sure horse racing isn't the only activity that's looking at the numbers at the moment and saying, well, actually, these are change- these have changed and they've not They've not changed for the better. It's expensive to drive to the races these days. That is true. And that hopefully will change. Other things, though, the field sizes. Lots of If, if the field sizes are putting off off-course punters, then it's also logical they will put off on-course punters, punters or race-goers too. The cashlessness of race courses. I think that can only, that, that can only put off people who like to deal and carry deal in and carry cash if you're happy using a a card it's not going to make you more likely to go to the races i don't think but it will put off those who like the folding green um we've had some stories in the spring about the cost of admission uh it's been alleged that some race courses want to make good the hit that they've suffered during during covid19 and they want to make good as quickly as they possibly can um the other is the 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 view that food on a race course is very expensive and it's not particularly good so it it may be david armstrong may be right this may be all down to uh, inflation and the cost of living crisis and when the waters become less choppy then 
things will settle down. But it's also a possibility that the things that I've just gone through, that they are contributory factors, and some of those racing can do something about. And I think that it would be, uh, I, I think we would be uh, ill-advised just to think, oh, well, this is, this is not our fault. There's nothing we can do about it, but it will pass. I think that we would be uh, wise to look internally and see if there are things that we can do to try and encourage people back to the tracks. So turning our attentions back to the, the coral eclipse, and I wanted yeah. to wind the clock back 22 years to m- millennial year, um, George Duffield is, is chuckling because I'd imagine, George, it, it doesn't feel like 22 years ago that you, you got the chance to ride a certain Giants Causeway. J- just, t- just tell us how, how you came by the ride in the first place. Well, I, I, don't, um, I don't particularly know that. I think, um, I think Aidan had spoken to Sir Mark and what I gather the conversation was, is, is he as strong as, as people say he is in a finish? And Sir Mark said, "Well, for me, he's, he's one of the strongest." And I think it, it sort of it sort of went from there, you know. And, and uh, funnily enough, I was offered I think either two or three rides in the race. I think one was um, Mr. Bolden's and and, uh, and what have you. And I think another one there. So I had the choice of three rides, but he wasn't certain to run. Uh, Giants Causeway, but they said if he if he runs, would you would you sit and wait I said uh, so I said to my agent Keith I said I think we should wait for that you know we won't take the other rise thank him very much for offering but uh, we'll wait and see if he runs in the eclipse which he did (laughs) and obviously you knew a bit about the horse he wasn't quite the hero that he came to be at that stage but he'd already won the St James's Palace Stakes he'd been second in two guineas he came into the race what was a vintage race a pretty big price as well. I think he was thirteen to two or seven to one or something yeah. like that. Can you can you remember what what Aiden said to you before the race? Well, from what I gather, that he hadn't quite come up to to, to standards. You know, they, they were disappointed that they thought he was a very very good horse, but hadn't won a guineas, hadn't produced what they hoped he would produce. Maybe they'd been riding him wrong. They, they thought they could have been riding him wrong or whatever, and. Um, and Aiden said, for me, he will definitely get a mile and a quarter a bit, but he's just make plenty of use of him. Because they, they probably must have felt that that's something they hadn't been doing, was making enough use of him. You know, and uh, and I think that that's where it all came from. But I think for Aiden to say this will, for me, definitely get a mile and a quarter, I, I did need to ask another question. <laughs> he was a man that would know more about the horse than I did. So talk me through the race from from your perspective. How how did it all pan out? Well, the the, the pacemakers they normally do got left. Not my pacemaker, but uh, um, Richard Hildesdorf's pacemaker. He as they do get left. So I I bounce the gates and I'm there and I'm thinking, well, I've got to be handy anyway. So if I have to make it, I have to make it, you know. And then all of a sudden the pacemaker came from nowhere and away we went and and off we went and I just sat up there nice and handy and and. Uh, just let the, the race develop underneath me and hope the horse was going to carry me far enough and had uh, the pacemaker and go. And I remember uh, Richard Hills got up my inside to his delight. <laughs> he caught me on the turn there. And he just caught me at a, uh, as you were turning, he caught me on my quarters there and, and made himself a bit of room without actually being blatant about it. 
and um, and I thought, oh, bloody hell, he's got up my inside. <laughs> and uh, and I, I just I, I carried on, and I, and I got back at him without using too much horse up. Uh, but I don't think you could ever do that on him anyway, because he was one of those sort of horses. What he did, what he needed to do, no more, no less. As, as I found out afterwards, and um, and got back and beat him. Then then Pat came and and tackled me, going to that last furlong, and he actually went and headed me. And I, I just thought it was a proper ding dong. But I just felt my fellow was just doing enough. There was just that little bit more in the tank there that. that needed to be found and he found it for me you know I'd, I'd give him everything I'd got and, and, and luckily we got back and, and beat Pat ahead it, it, both horses were both very successful that year yeah Kalanisi went on to win win the Breeders' Cup and and, oh, yeah. and yeah. you, you know, beat they both had tough races but, but, but they both seemed to thrive on it it's interesting what you, you said we, we always thought he was laying everything out there Giants Causeway but in fact was the secret to his success that he was just keeping a little bit up his sleeve all the time yeah yeah that was that was his forte Nick that, that for me that was his forte yeah I think he, he proved that when he when he met uh, when he met the horse again at uh, at York and he did exactly the same thing he would just stick his head out when it needed to stick out you know oh, go on there you go he reminded me very much of Spindrifter who was nothing near his, his quality of horse, but but was the same same stamp of horse as him, on a on a much lower scale. But he was another one that could just do enough to win his race. You know, it it, it beat a, a bad one as far as it beat a good one. You know, he was that sort of horse, and I think this fellow was, was the same. You know, he was just an unbelievable horse. I remember getting on him in the paddock and thinking, Christ, this is a monster of a horse. He was just he had a neck on him. He was, he, he was massive. You know, after he'd been riding just a ordinary sort of everyday horses which are just just horses and you get on something like him he just looked like a proper machine you know and I thought Christ this is some horse yeah and some some horse he was and, and some legacy he's had as well is his final crop his final tiny crop um, are still are still running around now and had an amazing legacy as a stallion as well uh, George for you I, I was trying to think of many more impactful spare rides in any jockey's career i know you were in the autumn of your career at, at the time but can you can you describe what what sort of overall impact on on your legacy in the saddle that had well i mean you know and they're, they're actually spoiled for choice weren't they <laughs> i know mickey can only he'd, uh, he'd injured his back or his uh, something or his neck or something and uh, which which allowed me to get on the and uh, but but when when you when you that spoilt for choice uh, you know a trainer like Aidan O'Brien uh, with with the quality of horse he's got and he's uh, he's getting the oldest bludger in the waiting room <laughs> to uh, to put his leg across it you know and it's, it's a massive boost and and to be to be Pat Edria head who's was one of one of the greats God bless him I was one of the greats you know and it was just same as when I when I won the clips the first time on on. Uh, an environment friend and beat Stevie Cawthon, you know, another great. So that they're they're massive feathers in your cap, and t- and for me to be at that age when I beat Pat, I know I, I wasn't that much older than Pat, but t- to uh, to beat him in a finish like that in in a race of that quality was just something special. Thanks to George. Wonderful memories of that coral eclipse in two thousand between Giants Causeway. And Kalanisi feels like it was yesterday. 22 years ago, David, can you believe it? I know, doesn't time fly? My word, that's chastening.
Um, well, you can cheer us up with a with a tip today. I, I can confirm that Rishi Passad's tipping on horse racing is better than his tennis tipping. After he advised me to back Andy Murray and Emma Raducanu the day before yesterday, I promptly put them in a double to win me 45 grand, and I was already working out ways of spending it. Um, ho-hum, on we did go. You back his, did you back his 10 to 1 beauty yesterday, though? What do you think? What do you think? I suspect you probably didn't. Um, you won't get 10 to 1 about my selection today. I'm sorry to say it's in the 420 at Yarmouth. Clipsham Gold, she's now naught from nine. Seven of those were for Mickey's to be. The last two were for Kevin Philippard Foy, a third at Lingfield, a second at Doncaster, beaten ahead. I think she can do for our older listeners a Ted Rogers, a 3 2 1 by winning today. It's the 420 race at Great Yarmouth. The selection is number 10, Clipsham Gold. And the good news for you is you know I will never put you in the dusty bin. That's it for today. We will see you again tomorrow. That's the final day of June, Thursday, the 30th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.